Welcome back, beloved. Today, our video is the Antichrist Explained. He is known by many names, the Antichrist, the Beast, the Man of Sin, the Son of Destruction. Um, and today, we're going to be getting a full, full look at what the Bible says of this individual. Um, this is going to be a longer video, so let me just explain uh, what we're going to break down. First, we're going to look at all of the Old Testament scripture of the coming Antichrist. I can't find any others. If you find one, please email me. Um, but we're going to look at all of the Old Testament scripture of the coming Antichrist first. And so we're going to be in the prophets of Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Daniel's a big one, and then Zechariah. And I love to see how God has revealed this prophecy over time, obviously culminating in the New Testament and then the book of Revelation, right? But we're going to start in the Old Testament in order. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. Ezekiel was about 590 BC. Daniel was, you know, 5-something BC. And then Zechariah was like 480 BC. Um, and then we'll go jump into the New Testament. We're going to be going over pretty much all of the New Testament scripture, except Revelation 17, which does mention the Antichrist, but it's in relation to Mystery Babylon, um, which I'll explain what that is a little bit, but I'm not going to go into Revelation 17. But other than that one chapter, this is essentially every Bible verse in the Bible about this individual. Um, then we're actually going to go over an example or a foreshadowing of this type of person from scripture that Jesus actually affirmed too, right? And sort of a, a, just a historical example of what this person might look like. And uh, so before we get into it, I just want to explain. So today it's Antichrist. It comes from the Greek Antichristos. Uh, it can obviously mean one who opposes Christ. He is against the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, but it can also mean putting yourself in the place of Christ. So it's you know, uh, being a false Christ, claiming to be Christ, but it's also opposing Christ. And we're going to come to this later, but one of the best verses just to, because remember, everything I do is a 30,000 foot view. I want you guys to study for yourself, but everything, uh, you know, one of the best verses just to explain this, and we'll come back to it later, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, let no, uh, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. There's going to be a great rebellion from the true faith, the simple faith in Jesus. And the man of sin is revealed. Now, the man of sin is the Antichrist, the son of perdition. That means destruction, the same person. The man of sin, the son of perdition, he is the Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, all religions, all gods, everything, or that is worshipped, so that, and this is really important, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that's just a standalone verse, kind of to have it in your, in your mind. This is going to be a world leader, a world ruler. He's going to go into a rebuilt Jewish temple and he is going to want the world to worship him as God. And so um, just a, a couple things here. I'm going to explain some of the videos I'm going to be making in the future. 
Today, the goal is to get you to understand what the Bible says about the Antichrist, right? There's a lot of other things in the book of Revelation uh, that I'll make videos about or different, you know, prophecy type things. Um, but today we want to stay hyper-focused on that. So I am going to make a third temple video, why we know there will be a third temple and some things going on right now with that. I'm going to make an abomination of desolation video, which is essentially an idol or an image that the Antichrist will set up in the temple and probably worldwide to be worshipped. He's going to set up an image of himself. Kings have done this throughout the ages. This is nothing new. Um, I'll make a third video. These aren't necessarily going to be in order. Understanding the beasts of Daniel and Revelation in the sense that there is a beast, the Antichrist, but he rules uh, world kingdoms, right? And so I'm going to understanding the four beasts of Revelation, the lion and the uh, a couple others, the bear, <clears throat> as world kingdoms. They're pretty clearly shown if you line up Daniel and Revelation. Uh, that'll be its own video. Mystery Babylon. Okay, that's Revelation chapter 17 and 18. That is a false global religious system headquartered in a city, probably Rome, um, that the Antichrist uses. He, he uses this religious system. It's probably just going to be, you know, Islam, false Christianity, Judaism, everything in one. There's going to be nothing offensive about it. It's just going to be, you know, pick your God, whatever you want, right? Um, he uses this, though, and then he destroys it and, and demands soul worship of himself. So I believe it's pretty clear for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there's going to be religions. But for the final three and a half, the great tribulation, it is going to be the soul worship of the beast, the Antichrist. And I'm going to do a video on the false prophet. This is called uh, the Antichrist is called the beast from the sea, meaning many peoples. Uh, the false prophet is called the beast from the earth, and he is a religious leader. He has powers of miracles and things like that uh, that will make people worship the Antichrist. He'll kind of be the Antichrist spokesman. So those are all going to be separate videos, and the reason I'm explaining this up front is that you understand that today we want to be hyper-focused on the Antichrist. Um, these videos will not be made in chronological order because I want to be able to jump back and do my Old Testament prophecies of Jesus as well. But when they're all finished, I will put them in chronological order on a, on a timeline on my YouTube. So if you wanted to, you could play everything and, and see the whole plan. And so with that, we are going to jump right into uh, the first mention of the Antichrist in the Bible, like 25, 2600 years ago. We're going to start out in the book of Ezekiel. And it says, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. This is just a, the easiest way to not get in the weeds here. It's talking Gog, Magog, all the enemies of God. It's a large army. The prince of Rosh, okay? The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. That prince is the coming Antichrist. He is going to lead a horde of enemies against Jesus when he comes back. So the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. I highly recommend you watch my Day of the Lord video. The Day of the Lord video explains this in much more detail. Moving forward on to Ezekiel 39, he says, Son of man, prophesy against Gog again and say this, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince, once again, the Antichrist of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I'll turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north, okay, and this is, this is when Christ comes back, 
against the mountains of Israel. So he's going to bring them against his people, against himself. And then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand, meaning he's going to destroy you. If you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, it talks of a great battle, which is the great day of the Lord when Jesus comes back in judgment against the Antichrist and his kingdoms and kings and soldiers, right? And so the day of the Lord video explains that. But here you have the first example of this prince, this prince of Rosh, this leader, this ruler of these hordes coming, right? And so uh, pretty shadowy, not too much revealed. Now we're going to get into the book of Daniel. And so the book of Daniel, understanding and lining up Daniel with Revelation, that is something that within the first year of me getting saved, it really strengthened my faith that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And that's so important. So now we're going to get into Daniel and we're going to look at where the Antichrist is in Daniel uh, 7 through 12. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 he says, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. Now these beasts, I'll make videos about them. These are world kingdoms. There was Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, finally Rome. Okay. Uh, the fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts. And this is why a lot of people believe a revived Roman Empire will be where the Antichrist rules from, okay? It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. Now, in the book of Revelation, we'll line this up later. The Antichrist rules, but he gives authority to 10 leaders, okay, under him, and those 10 leaders rule the world with him. So this coming final beast, this coming final kingdom, is different from all other kingdoms. It's a world global kingdom. And as we see the world trend towards globalism, you could see that happening, right? But there's never been a world kingdom to, you know, truly every part of the globe, right? Moving on, it says, I was considering the horns, the rulers, right? Those 10 kings. And there was another horn, another ruler, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. So you know rulers, specifically political leaders, they backstab each other. This coming ruler, he's going to get rid of three probably in opposition to him. And there in this horn, okay, this horn is the Antichrist, were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and this is really important, a mouth speaking pompous words. This is an arrogant man. This is a blasphemer. This is a very, very deceptive man. Uh, moving on, he says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. That is God. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was, was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So this is huge, okay? This is God in judgment uh, in a courtroom setting. He says, I watched then because of the sounds of the pompous words. These are blasphemies, which the horn, the Antichrist, was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain. The Antichrist was slain 
and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So remember that because Revelation lines us up clearly. The Antichrist is thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to see that later on. But it says, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And when I read that, I think of Satan. He gets to live for a thousand years. His dominion is taken away and probably other demonic hordes during that thousand year millennial reign of Jesus. Uh, but here you have it very clearly in Daniel. This beast is going to be slain. It's a, a man, a king, a ruler speaking pompous words, and he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Moving on, it says, Daniel 7, 19, I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, right? Now, this is where it gets a little tricky, but there are beasts in that there are world kingdoms, and then there is the beast, the Antichrist. He will rule his final global kingdom, okay? And when I make the four beast video, it'll clear it up. It's not rocket science, but it needs to be studied. Um, so he wanted to know the truth about the fourth beast. This was different from all the others. Exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron representing Rome and its nails of bronze representing Greece. That's why a lot of people think this fourth, this final coming world kingdom will basically be all of Europe, you know, uh, ruling from there, right? Uh, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. It goes on to say the 10 horns, 10 rulers that were on its head. And so you have a world kingdom, right? That's devouring. It's a military powerhouse. It has 10 rulers uh, that lead it and the other horn, the Antichrist. So it's pretty clear. You have a world military force, 10 rulers of it with an immense amount of power, and then the Antichrist above them, the other horn which came up before, which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. So Daniel's saying, I'm most interested in this guy, the guy who's speaking pompous words. He's the one who rose up. I'm, you know, that's, he says, namely, I want to know what's going on with that. Uh, he says, I was watching and the same horn, the Antichrist, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And Revelation brings that to light. The Antichrist is given authority under the sovereignty of God to persecute the true believers of Christ, of God. Um, so he was, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. But it was only until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Okay, so that's really important to understand. The Antichrist is empowered by the devil. They get a short time. The devil rules right now. And the Antichrist will rule during the tribulation up until the end. But then the people of the saints of the Most High God, followers of disciples of Jesus Christ, it will be time for us to possess the kingdom and it will be for eternity. So that's amazing. Um, but thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour, this is really key, the whole earth. So the entire earth, this coming global system is going to control the entire earth 
and it says it will trample it and break it in pieces. If you study history, you see, you know, what would the world look like if Hitler took control or Mussolini or some of these dictators? Imagine that. The whole world is going to be trampled and totally dominated by this coming world kingdom, which will have 10 rulers and the Antichrist at its head. It says right here so clearly, the 10 horns are 10 kings. Okay, this is not me, you know, running around making stuff up. The 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom. So you've got a global kingdom. It spans the whole world. You've got 10 kings. And then another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So you see how the Bible builds on itself. This horn, this king is coming. He's going to subdue three kings. He's going to rule, you know, in its entirety. It says, so now it's talking about the Antichrist, Daniel chapter 7. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. That's really important. He's going to have like a new morality. There's going to be new laws. Don't worry about what God said. Don't worry about the Ten Commandments or abortion or sexual immorality. Worry about X, Y, and Z. We're going to change things now. This He's going to try and tell you this is right. What you think is right is really wrong, right? And so... Then the saint shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That is three and a half years. In Revelation, it is specific. It is 42 months, okay? But it is for a time, times, and half a time. The last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, we will come under severe persecution. Uh, but the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. So that's super important. The court is going to be seated. Our God is the judge. He's going to take away the dominion. That's what we're waiting for, right? Forever. Uh, Daniel 7, 27. Now it says, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, ruled by Jesus Christ, is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So that's Jan Daniel chapter 7. That is a lot. <laughs> now we're going to jump on to Jan Daniel chapter 8. So Daniel chapter 8 talks about these kingdoms, okay? And, it, and it's you have to be able, and it just takes time, and you have to study it, and hopefully over the years with this YouTube, I'll be able to explain it better. You have to understand near-term fulfillment and far-term fulfillment. When it comes to Bible prophecy, there's often a near-term fulfillment and a far-term fulfillment, right? Jesus warned and the prophets warned that Jerusalem would be overtaken, right? It was, and, and sieged. It was sieged by Babylon, It was and then it was finally sieged by Rome as well. There was a near-term fulfillment, a far-term and in the end, it will be sieged again and, and destroyed uh, and ransacked by the Antichrist and his armies, right? So uh, these things build on themselves. But here, Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to read it out for you. It says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when, this is really key, the transgressors have reached their fullness. Jesus said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I know everybody says, yeah, human beings, we've always been, even if you're a Christian, you're like, all right, human beings have always been evil. Uh, it doesn't get any worse or better. There is coming a time where the transgressions are going to get worse and worse and worse because as we have more truth of God, right? More scripture, we're able to study it. More truth in the world, Israel becoming a nation. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, during the tribulation, every there's going to be miraculous things happening 
uh, and probably before that as well, it's going to become more and more and more apparent, okay, uh, that these prophecies are being fulfilled. And at that time, the transgressions are going to reach their fullness. People are going to have to keep sinning and sinning and sinning because they're turning away from God, right? But when the transgressions reach their fullness, at the latter time of the kingdom, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. This is important. He understands sinister schemes. This guy is going to get it. He's going to know how to speak to religious leaders, political leaders, rich, poor. He's going to know how to galvanize populations. He's going to be deceptive. He's going to be brilliant, okay? His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. That's so important. That lines up with Revelation. We'll see that later. His power shall be mighty. The Antichrist power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He is actually empowered by the devil. Like Jesus is God in human flesh. I'm not sure exactly what the Antichrist is, but it's a good example. He is the devil in human flesh, okay? So his power is mighty, not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully. Remember, he's going to trample the whole earth, okay? And he shall prosper and thrive. Lots of money, trillions, trillions, dollars, whatever it is. He's going to have all the wealth of the world. He will destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Moving on, it says, Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. So while he's ruling, deceit will prosper, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. So many people are going to be rich, right? We, we have to have a lot of people in prosperity <laughs> in order to, for him to destroy many in prosperity. So whenever I read that, I think, wow, we're at a time right now with global, we've never been richer as a population on planet earth than we are right now. So he is going to destroy many in, in their prosperity. He's going to exalt himself in his heart, right? He's going to want to be worshiped as God. And this is really key. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. Meaning he is going to be killed not by human beings, but by God himself. Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is going to destroy him. So he shall even rise against the prince of princes, that's Jesus Christ, but he shall be broken without human means. And just a little segue here, I'll explain this more when I do my abomination of desolation video. That is an image of the beast that is coming. Uh, when you're understanding near and far-term fulfillment, this Daniel 8, there's certain verses that are talking about this man, Antiochus Epiphanes. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. He's kind of like that type of Antichrist I want to talk to you about. But there's other verses where when studied, you can see they're clearly talking not about the near-term fulfillment, but the far-term fulfillment of the Antichrist. And one of them is right here. He's going to rise against the prince of princes, but he's going to be broken without human means. God is going to destroy him. So that's really important. Um, Daniel 8:26, he says, the visions of the evening and mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, this is really important. Seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future, many days in the future. This is talking about the end of time. Uh, moving on, Daniel chapter 9, one of the greatest prophecies of Jesus ever. Uh, it, it gives literally the day he, he showed up to Jerusalem. It's amazing. But I, I've done that in another video today. There's also a prophecy about the coming Antichrist. So very important, Daniel chapter 9. 
uh, after the 62 weeks, okay? I'm gonna give the prophecy about Jesus right here, but I'm not gonna explain it in the detail it deserves. Uh, but after the 62 weeks, these are weeks of years. The Hebrew word, they're weeks of years. It's very clear. Messiah, Jesus, shall be cut off, killed, but not for himself. He died for us. And the people, this is really important. This is the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple, right? So Rome came through about 35 years after, after the Messiah was cut off. The people of the prince who is to come, Rome came through to destroy the city and the sanctuary. That actually historically happened. They literally destroyed it. Jesus predicted that they would do it, and they did it as well. And so very important to understand that, the prince who is to come, right? And it says, the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And I believe that word all could mean, when, when we hear desolations are determined, that means decreed. It's very important to understand. Everything that is happening is God is sovereignly in control. He has decreed it, right? He has decreed that the tribulation will be seven years. He's decreed that the great tribulation, the time that Antichrist can terrorize planet Earth, is three and a half years, right? He is decreeing it, and in his mercy, he has decreed that we get to live with Jesus in, uh, for eternity, right? So he's decreed that that's eternal, and this is all temporary. So that's important. But people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Then it says, then he, this is the Antichrist. This is very important to understand to eschatology, to the, the study of end times. Then he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But it, So one week is one week of years. That is 70, uh, seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. You've got to make sure you understand this. You have a covenant with many, probably the world, probably all the religions, Islam, Hindu, Buddha, doesn't matter, but also the Jewish people. And I believe they're going to get their temple back. And, and it says here, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Okay, so there has to be sacrifice and offering in order to bring an end to it, right? So I believe that the Antichrist is going to use the world religion systems just to gain power. Uh, Hitler did this, so, you know, he, he wanted to be in bed with the Catholic Church and, and, you know, wherever people have influence, that's where world political rulers will go. I mean, Islam has two billion followers, Catholicism has one and a half, two billion followers. There's no way a global leader could take over without having religion on his side, okay, whether he believed it or not. And so in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And this is really important. On the wing of abominations, abominations are always talking about false gods, right? Like the abomination of the Amorites was the false god of the Amorites. Shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined, the, 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 the finality, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so what I want to make sure we understand about Daniel 9.27 is there's a covenant for seven years in the middle, three and a half years, he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. And what we'll see brought to light in the New Testament is that he's going to want to be worshipped for you know himself. So obviously, he doesn't want you sacrificing to any other gods. That, that lines up, okay? Now, Daniel chapter 11. This is pretty important. First half of Daniel is kind of talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. 
Then it shifts and it begins to clearly, I believe, speak about the coming Antichrist. Then it says, then the king shall do according to his own will. Okay, he is the willful king. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and will prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. <laughs> accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Whoa, there is so much in that one verse. This king's going to do according to his own will. He's going to speak blasphemies against the God of gods, but it's only till the wrath has been accomplished. God, you have to understand, sovereignly, the Antichrist is a judgment. We don't want Jesus, so eventually we're going to deal with the judgment, the Antichrist, right? So God is not, you know, the Antichrist is against God, but God is in control of him because what has been determined shall be done, right? We have to be so careful when studying end time prophecy not to fall into Gnosticism, which is where we trust our own ability to study and our own knowledge instead of trusting in Jesus and what he did. Many people will study the mark of the beast and say, all right, I got to make sure I don't get that. They'll study the Antichrist, try and figure out who he is. Got to make sure I don't worship him. No, no, no. If you're deceived, it's because you want to be deceived because you don't want Jesus, right? So we don't trust our own mind, our own ability, because right here it says, for what has been determined shall be done. This is coming. There's no way to stop it or fight against it. Right now is the day of salvation. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus and just beware with this stuff not to fall into Gnosticism. Um, it goes on to say, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. So some people say he might have come from a religion and then deny that religion. He's not going to regard the God of his fathers. Uh, and the desire of women, some people believe he'll be a homosexual or asexual. He just won't be interested in that at all. Um, nor regard any God. For the reason why he doesn't care about God or any gods is he will exalt himself above them all. He will believe to his core he is God. He will want to be worshiped as God. Uh, but he says, in their place, in the place of God or false gods, he is going to honor a God of fortresses. This is a really key verse. He's going to honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. It's almost kind of amazing and terrifying to think of. This man will have all the wealth of the world and his God will be fortresses. And we know he's going to trample the entire earth. He's going to have military might that we can't even imagine, especially like with technologies now and stuff like that. Imagine you had unlimited resources. This guy's going to have it all, okay? And he's going to honor a God of fortresses, military might, and trample the world with it. It goes on to say, he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge, okay? A foreign God, which he shall acknowledge, the God of fortresses, and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. That is so uh, important. He's going to act against the strongest fortresses, whatever the biggest military powers are. You have to remember in Revelation, he comes in with peace. That's the white horse. And then the red horse is war. And very early on in the tribulation, a quarter of the population of the world is killed. Today, that would be like 2 billion people. So he is going to act against the strongest fortresses, 
with a foreign god, that god of fortresses, which he shall acknowledge. He's going to advance its glory and cause them to rule over many, and he will divide the land, the world, for gain. Once again, that's with the ten rulers, probably going to divide it amongst them. At the time of the end, that's so important, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, the Antichrist, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. So the Antichrist is going to be attacked with chariots, horsemen, many ships, and he shall enter through the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So the Antichrist is going to be attacked, and then he's just going to go forth conquering. Okay, he's going to overwhelm. He's also going to enter the glorious land, Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon, those are mostly in Jordan. He is going to stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So he's going to conquer Egypt. He is going to have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So he's going to get news from the east, maybe China for all we know. I'm just guessing. But the Antichrist is going to be in Jerusalem and he is going to go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Remember, the Bible gives us tons of amazing clues and details about the tribulation, but it's a seven year period. A lot happens in seven years. So this is just, you know, it's not going to be every detail. It says he will plant the tents of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, right? That's in Jerusalem. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. And Antiochus didn't really come to his end like this at all. And so that's why we believe this is talking more about the Antichrist, right? Because in parts of Daniel, it is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, as I believe a very clear near-term fulfillment of what the Antichrist will look like a little bit. And then the, uh, the far-term fulfillment is the true coming uh, Antichrist. And so that's Daniel 11. Daniel chapter 12, it's not fully about the, uh, we just were in Daniel so much. This isn't fully about the Antichrist. This is just a really important thing. Uh, at the end of all these prophecies, right? Uh, Daniel, you know, is full. Daniel is like the revelation of the Old Testament. After all that, he says, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. Could be Jesus, could be an angel. Uh, when he held up his right hand, his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever. So Daniel asked, how long, you know, is this going to happen? He's seeing all these crazy battles and all these horrible things. And he says, it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Half of that covenant we talked about, half of that week. Revelation calls it 42 months, uh, which is three and a half years, right? And this is really key. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So this is clearly telling us, this is talking about the end of days, right? It's when the power of the holy people, I believe that means Jewish people, but also the true saints of God, right? Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, okay? Those are the, those are the holy people. In the end, I think a lot of Jewish people will get saved, and a, a lot of Gentiles who possibly weren't raptured are going to be persecuted by the Antichrist. And so uh, the holy people, when that power is completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Then it says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed 
till the time of the end, right? So it's very important. You have to understand the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, they need to be studied diligently, but they can, I don't want to say be conquered and understood in their fullness, but they were given to us by God to edify us and build us up and cause us to worship God and, and understand him more. So clearly he says, these words are closed up till the time of the end. So they're obviously talking about the time of the end. He says, many will be purified, made white and refined, right? Saved. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And this is really key. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. And I believe at the time of the end, the wise, those who have faith in Jesus, they'll be able to look and see all these things. They'll look at these prophecies and say, wow, he went into Egypt. He got all the money. He's honoring, you know, the God of fortresses. He's got, you know, he's got a massive military. He's got 10 rulers underneath him. He took out three rulers. He did this. He did that, right? It's, you're going to see more of it coming soon. But this is the end of the book of, of Daniel, and it's such a key, key, important book. But I, I just wanted you to understand, it's that the wise will understand, and we don't want to have our own wisdom. We want all our wisdom to be in Christ, and, and he is the word made flesh. So I always say, I'm not wise, but the Bible is wise. So the more we study it, the, the wiser we'll be. Now we're going to move on to the final Old Testament prophet that talked about the Antichrist, and he didn't talk about him a lot. This is going to be pretty quick. I'm going to take a quick sip of water. All right, we are now back, <laughs> and we are going to move on to Zechariah. Uh, you're going to get a prophecy about Jesus here. It's one of my favorite ones. It's so specific. This is almost 500 years before he was even born, and then you're going to get a prophecy about the Antichrist. So it says, then I said to him, this is God speaking. This is the Lord speaking. I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, refrain. It's, it's almost like sarcasm. So they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. That's what Jesus was sold for. This is what God's saying. He's telling the nation of Israel, you put no value on me. You've turned on me. You're worshiping false gods. Well, if I'm worth it, give me my wages. I, I saved you from Egypt. I brought you into the land. I've done miracles. I've done healing. I've given you the law. So if it's agreeable, give me my wages. And, and then they weighed out 30 pieces of silver, the exact price Jesus Christ was sold for. And it's also the price of a slave. Okay. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. Whoa, throw it to the potter. After Jesus died, this is amazing, they, they took the 30 pieces of silver, Judas felt guilty, threw it back to them, and they bought the potter's field. But I just love it. And this is true Hebrew sarcasm. So it's throw it to the potter, right? Then that princely price they set on me. Whoa, that's talking about Jesus, that princely price they set on me. This is what you guys thought of me. You sold me for 30 pieces of silver. So... I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So that's talking about Jesus. Uh, then it says, I cut uh, in two my other staff. He had a stick. He cut it in two bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. There's going to be no friendship. That bond is broken. And the Lord said to me next, and this is really key. It's very important. <laughs> the Lord said to me next, Take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd, the, a foolish shepherd. For indeed, 
I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Whoa, this is so important. You have to understand what he's saying there. He's saying, you sold me. And then for the last couple thousand years, I've given the gospel to the nations and some have come to faith in Christ, thank God, but many reject him. And so when that patience runs out, he is going to raise up a shepherd and for the Jewish people too, he's not going to care. I mean, we've heard he's going to be trampling down the earth, so he's not going to care. He's going to eat the flesh of people, right? Not actually, but he's just going to, he's not going to care about the poor and the sick. He might rise to power claiming he really cares about the poor and the sick and uh, those who have some sort of social injustice against them. But when he gets in power, he is going to tear them. But it's important to understand God's sovereignty. He says, I will raise up this shepherd, this foolish shepherd who's going to destroy them. Remember, God's sovereign. He is going to raise up the Antichrist in judgment because we don't want the true Messiah, Jesus. Okay? Zechariah goes on to say, Woe to the worthless shepherd, the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. That's really important. And Revelation might talk about that a little bit. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So that is the end of Old Testament references of the Antichrist. Now, his arm being completely withered, I think that might happen. Maybe the Antichrist, is, you know, he's going to be a vile person. He's going to be angry all the time. Maybe to make him even angrier and more vicious, he's going to have a bad arm and a bad eye or, or there's going to be some sort of attack on him. And so we're going to bring that to light a little bit more in the New Testament here in a second. Um, that is the end of the Old Testament references. If you want to do something fun right now, though, and this will kind of blow your mind. Remember, the, the right eye is going to be completely out and the right arm. Uh, Islam steals a lot from the Bible. If you just want to pause this and Google, I think it's called the Islamic Daji, the Dajjal, their false Christ. He actually had, or their false leader, he actually has like no right eye. And it's pretty amazing when you look at this. You just go to Google Images. It always does kind of fascinate me uh, how people steal from the Bible, but then they use some of this imagery, right? But anyway, that is the end of Old Testament references. Okay, now we are going to move on to New Testament references, right? So everything that I spoke about was roughly five or 600 years before Jesus was born. Everything I'm going to speak about now is anywhere from 30 to 90 years uh, after he died. And so uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, they asked, when is coming? When is the end of these things coming? Uh, chapter 24. And Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, name of Jesus, name of Messiah, name of God, saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, and will deceive many. So there's going to be many false Christs many antichrists, and we'll talk about that in a second, but then there will also be a final, you know, embodiment of the one antichrist. And so in John chapter five, Jesus was saying to them, he said, I've come in my father's name and you don't receive me, you reject me. And then he says, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Okay, those are some foreshadowings, but now we're gonna get pretty clear. We're gonna go to the book of first John chapter two. And he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come, by which we know that it is the last 
hour. So from the time Jesus taught, uh, died till now, these are, you know, in a sense, the last days. Obviously, uh, the time the Antichrist comes will be, you know, the actual last days, right? But we know that it's the last hour because many Antichrists come. Many people have stood against Jesus or in the place of Jesus. He goes on to say, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Okay, you cannot deny that Jesus is God, right? The Father and the Son. First um, John, still chapter four, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Be careful whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That the Son of God, God, came in human flesh. He's fully man and fully God. That is how you know. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the, and this is really important. This is the spirit of Antichrist, okay? So there is Antichrist, many people against Christ, many false prophets, many false teachers. There is the Antichrist, the coming world leader, the king, the beast. And there is the spirit of Antichrist. And what's important, and this is for us to be on our guard today, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And after watching this video, next time you watch a movie or something, I hear this spirit all the time, not actually audibly. There are tons of movies that all of a sudden randomly, somehow they will work in that Jesus wasn't God. And they might say something great about Jesus. Oh, I was watching Lost the other day and it was talking about John baptizing Jesus. And he said, now Jesus knew he was forgiven of all his sins. That is essentially saying, it sounds sweet, and I don't know why they threw that in there, but all of a sudden it says, well, Jesus sinned. God doesn't sin. Jesus isn't God, okay? Jesus never sinned. And so, and I hear it in movie after movie after movie, TV show, it's everywhere. And any spirit or anybody who essentially is alluding to the fact that Jesus is not God, okay? Uh, the divinity of Jesus and also fully man. He's not just God, he's also fully man. But we all need to be on the watch out for, for that, right? For example, Jehovah's Witness, don't believe Jesus is God. Mormons, don't believe Jesus is God. That's very important. Uh, second John now, uh, six and seven, it says, this is love, okay? Now, so, so this is second John, it's only one chapter. This is verses six and seven. He says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. So he defines what love is. If you love Jesus, you follow his commandments. That is what love is to God. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Very, very important. He goes on to say, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, according to his human nature, he is that great high priest. He is the Son of God. He reveals the Father to us, okay? But the deceivers and the Antichrist, they always want to take away his human nature or his, like he didn't come in the flesh, or his godly nature, okay? Then it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, 
Do not receive him in your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So I showed 2 John and 1 John because it is talking about the spirit of Antichrist and many Antichrists. It's really more for us to be on alert, that these are active things, okay? Now we're going to get to probably the most descriptive of what the Antichrist is going to do before Revelation. We're going to talk about 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. So 2 Thessalonians is... Uh, really descriptive, and I'm just going to start reading it out. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, don't be soon shaken or troubled. Don't be afraid, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Somebody had probably said, Oh, you already came. You missed him. He says, Don't worry about that. Then he says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's the rebellion on a previously agreed upon truth. There's going to be, I believe, falling away from Jesus, absolutely, and from him being fully man, fully God, and most importantly, fully sufficient for our sins, right? True grace. Um, but I think there's also going to be, and we're seeing that in our society right now, turning away from all kinds of truth. Like men can be women, women can be men, you can do whatever you want, turning away from the law, just all kinds of that, right? So there's going to be a great falling away, a rebellion. Then the man of sin, that's another name for the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of perdition, that means destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, that new temple, showing himself that he is God. So now you start to line up what Daniel and Zechariah and Ezekiel say about this man, and you're lining it up with New Testament, uh, you know, scripture. Now you're getting a better picture, and you're seeing uh, the plan of God, which I think is awesome. Uh, it says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. Okay, what is restraining? I'm sure the devil would want the Antichrist to take over right now. But there is something restraining that, that he may be revealed in his own time. Now, what is actually restraining him? People have had different views. I think the best view, the clearest view is that it's actually God, the Holy Spirit, is restraining the devil and, and, and from you know, choosing an antichrist, trying to take over the world for the exact right time, because God is sovereign over everything. Because, I mean, human beings, we have no power over sin. We have no power over the devil. It's all by the sovereign power and grace of God. So I think the only thing that can restrain the Antichrist or evil is God, okay? And so in his own time, he will take away that restraining effect. Uh, then it says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, lawlessness is sin, okay? The one restraining sin will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I think it's pretty clear here. Right now, the Holy Spirit is restraining sin. In fact, in God's grace, I think he even restrains sin in non-believers, truly. And in the world, through government, through common sense, through whatever way he does it, in whatever mercy he does it, even for some people who are rejecting him, I believe he restrains their sin uh, in mercy, right? It says in Psalms, the earth is full of the Lord's goodness. And so obviously, Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Yes, it you know very dramatically restrains the sin in our life. Doesn't completely kill it because of our flesh, but it dramatically restrains it. I think even in the world, this is why some people are 
uh, quote unquote better than other people, right? Like not everybody is Hitler, okay? And I think that's because God is merciful. I think if we were given over to our own selves, we would go insane, you know, immediately. <laughs> um, so anyway, it then says, after the restrainer's taken away, then the lawless one will be revealed. Then the Antichrist will be revealed, who the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So this is really important to understand. It then says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, the devil. Remember, his, in Daniel, his power will be great, but not by his own power, okay? With all power, signs, and lying wonders. So you're beginning to see this thing. I think for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and even right now, when it, whenever it comes leading up to it, the restraining effect of the spirit goes away. People are going to be given over to sorcery and idolatry and sexual immorality. Wickedness, transgression will fill up. And then in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will be revealed, okay? I think at that point, they'll be so given over to their sin, they won't even recognize it. They won't care what the Bible says, unless they're saved. Uh, it then goes on to say, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And then so key, it tells you why. I love to know why. That's like, I love the why. <laughs> it says they perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, it's not that people are ignorant to Jesus. You, you don't not believe in Jesus. You reject Jesus. That's how it works, okay? So they didn't receive the love of the truth of Jesus that they might be saved. And for this reason, because they've rejected truth, God will send them strong delusion. That is so important that they should believe the lie, singular, the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Whoa, that is huge. And I want to break that down. I want to try and get your mind into this. God is telling us there is a time coming. I, I'm not a date setter. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10,000 years from now. Um, it's, there is a time coming where the entire earth will worship a human being who is not God as God. Whoa. But I want you to pick up on the language here. He says they will believe the lie. Guys, it always goes back to the garden. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. The serpent, the devil, the one who will give power to the Antichrist says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, okay, the apple, the whatever it was, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, Whoa, do you understand? Like, look at the sovereignty of God. The original rebellion against God was that we could be like God. And over time, he's saved us through Jesus, thank God. But for those who are not saved, he's then going to send a strong delusion that they would believe the lie. And what is the lie? It's that man is God. I mean, Mormons believe you can become a God right now. Many, I see atheist philosophers posting things like, wow, we're going to have more power than even what Christians think God can do one day with science. There's going to be this strong delusion sent, but it always goes right back to the garden. We exchange the truth about God and we want to be like God. And so at the very last three and a half years of earth as we know it, he's going to give us over to that and say, all right, you want to be this way? Go. This is what you've been worshiping the whole time. You've always been worshiping yourself. You didn't want Jesus. He was really God. 
And now you can worship this and see what it's like when you worship a man. And it's, it's going to be terrifying. Uh, Romans chapter one also says that uh, they change the glory of the incorruptible God, right? The God who you can't even imagine outside of time into an image made like corruptible man. Guys, if you look, we've been doing this for years, whether it's people with a savior complex or there's been tons of different kings, you know, pharaohs, Egypt, whatever. They've always wanted to be worshipped as God, and man has always done that. Uh, and birds and four-footed animals, you know, we've worshipped all sorts of things as God, but we don't worship the true God. It says we've exchanged the truth of God for, and you see this language again, the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, created things, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So I just think going back to Genesis, that's so important. The original lie in the garden, you're going to be like God. God's going to send us a strong deluding influence when the man of sin comes, who everyone's going to worship, and we're going to believe he's God. Look at the pattern from Genesis to Revelation. It is just incredible. So now, <laughs> now, and I have now highlighted here if you're watching, now we can interpret what Revelation to, uh, has to say about the Antichrist. Because you have the Old Testament, that's the foundation. You have the epistles, what Jesus said, in the New Testament, and you get a really good idea. It's a coming global world leader. He is evil. He is deceptive. He has amazing military power. He wants to be worshipped. He blasphemes. He is given authority by God for three and a half years. And so now we can interpret what Revelation has to say about the Antichrist. Um, so we are going to go through Revelation here, and then I'm going to just talk about Antiochus Epiphanes a little bit, just to give you an idea, and then close with that. And so here we go. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. Okay, these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, this is going to be brief. He says, I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. There's no arrows, a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. I think it's pretty clear that this is the Antichrist because the next horse is red, and he takes peace from the earth. So for there to be, that he is going to be conquering through peace, right? Daniel says he's going to seize with flattery, with you know political garb, whatever you name it, right? He is going to deceive people into following him. So he is conquering, right, bow with no arrows and during a time of peace. First Thessalonians says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, it gets you know, worse and worse and worse, and they will not escape. So there's coming a time where they're probably going to say, we got peace in the Middle East, we got peace between religions, we got peace between this, and that's how you know it's getting close. So Revelation chapter 12, this, I'm not going to talk about this a lot, but I just want you to understand, remember, in Daniel it says his power is great, but not by his own power. So the Antichrist is fully revealed in Revelation chapter 13. But before that, Revelation chapter 12 talks about the dragon, who is clearly the devil, the serpent of old, the same serpent in the garden, right? And so at the end of Revelation 12, I just want to preclude this, it says the dragon was enraged with the woman, Remember, I'm not explaining this chapter. The woman is Israel, and he went out to make war with the rest of her offspring, probably Jewish people or truly saved people, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right? So you see the devil about to make war with people, 
right? And then boom, Revelation chapter 13, it goes right into, and it clearly starts to explain the Antichrist. So remember, his power will be great, but not by his own power. So here we go. We're going to break down Revelation uh, 13 through, through 19 now. Then I stood on the stand of the sea. And the sea, it means many people, multitudes, nations, tribes. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, a beast rising up out of the people, right? He has seven heads, and this is so important, 10 horns. Remember that from Daniel. This beast has 10 horns, 10 rulers, and on his horns, 10 crowns, right? So you've got 10 horns, 10 crowns, and on his heads, this is super important, a blasphemous name, a name against the God of heaven, against Christ. So you have a beast, a world kingdom, okay? He's got 10 horns. I believe the world's gonna be probably separated into like 10 geographic locations and 10 rulers, 10 crowns, right? Pretty, pretty straightforward. On the heads of these kings, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw, this is where you have to wait till I make a video or Google a video understanding the beast of Revelation. But the beast which I saw, in Daniel, it also talks about world powers, okay? So the beast which I saw was like a leopard, okay? Which was an old, like, Medo persian kingdom. His feet were like the feet of a bear, uh, which was another kingdom, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, which was Babylon. It's eluding me right now which kingdom the bear was. I think it might be Greece. But it's all the old world kingdoms that Daniel's talking about. And then it says, the dragon gave him his power. The devil gives him his power, his throne, and great authority. So the thing to understand is the leopard, the bear, and the lion. In Daniel, you can go read about it. It represents all the old kingdoms. But this new beast, and remember, it's going to be a world kingdom. It's going to subsume all the kingdoms. It looks like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. It looks like all these other kingdoms because it has all them within it. Okay, and the devil gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And this is really important. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Remember in Zechariah, woe to the worthless shepherd, his arm and his eye will be completely destroyed, right? So one of his heads, this is the Antichrist, as if it had been mortally wounded. Maybe somebody's going to do like an assassination attempt, but his deadly wound was healed. So, and then it says, all the world marveled and followed the beast. I believe just like he's a false Christ, he's probably gonna do like some sort of false resurrection. Maybe he'll claim he died and then came back to life. Maybe he'll get shot in the eye and then come back to life. I don't know all the details, but I know that his deadly wound was healed and all the world will marvel. They will be amazed and follow the beast. So you have a coming beast of the whole world kingdoms, 10 rulers, 10 king, or 10 areas, 10 kings, and uh, given authority by the dragon. But most importantly, you have this beast, this Antichrist, where his wound will be healed and the world will follow the beast. It goes on to say, they worshiped the dragon, the devil, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist. And they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, remember, we read in Daniel, he honors a God of fortresses. His, he goes against the strongest fortresses. He is a military 
commander. He's got it. You know, he know he understands how to do it. He is totally in control militarily. So no one can make war with him. So they worship him. And this is really important. It says he was given a mouth, given a mouth, granted authority, speaking great things and blasphemies. These are probably going to be unheard blasphemies, horrible things. And he was given authority to continue for, this is huge, 42 months. So you have the covenant for seven years. And in the middle of that week, he destroys sacrifice and offering in Daniel. That's middle of seven years. That's three and a half years. Daniel asked the angel, he says, how long until this is done? A time, one times and two and half a time, three and a half. <laughs> and then you have here as clear as day. This person's going to have authority for 42 months. Huge, huge. It also mentions in Daniel like 1260 days at one point. So that, that's important too. Um, then, okay, he opened his mouth in blasphemy, the Antichrist, against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacles, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints, true followers of Jesus, and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So just like in Daniel, that ruler will have global authority, will trample the world. Here he is granted that authority by God uh, to uh, make war with the saints and overcome them. You see in Daniel, it says he destroys the holy people. He's given authority to do that. Lines up in Revelation. Very important. Revelation going on now. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of, and I love this, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Guys, God is the author of our salvation. He wrote this story. He is sovereignly in control. He knew about the Antichrist before the world was made. He knew he was going to save us. He was going to come and die for us. So if you're truly in Christ today, nothing can separate you from him because your name was recorded in the book of life before the foundation of the world. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And this is really important. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Once again, going against Gnosticism, I think a lot of people are going to claim to be Christian during this time and rise up against the Antichrist or claim to be Christian and fight for the Antichrist. It's going to be a time of global war. But here's God telling you, no, no, if you're my true witness on earth, if you're truly a believer in Jesus at this time, you're, you're going to be slaughtered. That is my will. And we have to submit to that will as best we can, right? It's all by his grace, but that's it. You're not going to go to war. You're not going to lead others into captivity. You are going to trust in, G in Christ that he died for you and that right now he is sovereignly allowing you to go through this persecution uh, for his purpose, for his glory, okay? And so that is the appropriate response. It's never to get whipped up. You know, all you're going to do probably during the tribulation is... Uh, whether you believe in the rapture or not, that's really up to you. But some people are clearly going to be believers, right? And so their job is going to be to faithfully proclaim the truth, tell the gospel, and to wait to be persecuted. That's, that's pretty much it. It says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. This is the false prophet. He is not the Antichrist. He had two horns like a lamb. He speaks like Jesus. He's gentle. He talks like a Christian. Many people believe this might, and, and honestly myself too, not, you know, not like I'm calling it or it's exact, but many people believe this might be a pope. That's a really common thing. 
um, and he spoke like a dragon. So he has horns like a lamb, like Jesus. He's gentle, but he speaks like the devil. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So I believe it's pretty clear. The false prophet, he's a religious leader. He can do miracles. He's going to get everyone to worship the Antichrist whose deadly wound was healed. That's really important. I think there's going to be kind of like a false resurrection type thing. I don't know if that's exactly going to be it, but I know his wound is going to be healed, right? It says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the Antichrist. And this is really important. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. Make an image to the beast. This is the abomination of desolation coming. An image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So remember, Zechariah, there's a sword against his right eye and his arm. They're completely useless. And so remember, that's now been mentioned like three or four times in Revelation. He's wounded by the sword and lives. I believe God wants this to be so apparent. At the time people are rejecting him during the tribulation, I think he wants it to be so apparent. I think they'll be so hardened at that point, you'll literally have a ruler that has like no right eye or no right arm, and they will just belligerently not even care that it was recorded thousands of years ago. I think that is the point of why this is so specific. It is to highlight their rejection of the truth. And because they reject the truth, he sends a deluding influence. He gives the authority for the false prophet to do these miracles. Nobody can do anything without God sovereignly at least allowing it, okay? And so that's really important. It says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. So there is an idol, an image, and the false prophet gives breath to it. And the image speaks and causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There's some interesting theories here. Some people think that might be with technology. They have crazy like uh, techno statues now. And maybe, you know, with all the money the Antichrist will have, he'll build something with technology. Maybe it'll just be a, a straight up miracle. I don't know. But what I do know is there will be an image of the Antichrist. It will speak and it will cause anyone who does not worship it to be killed. That's important. Okay. So that image is huge. I think he goes into the Jewish temple and sets up the abomination of desolation and that's what starts the Great Tribulation, I believe. That's, that's what does it. And so it says that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay, so just going back really quick, it says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. You can watch my Mark of the Beast video. I explain that. No one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then it says, here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. His number is 666. I don't think we should spend a lot of time trying to figure that out or doing it, but it's abundantly clear. I think at the time, you're literally going to have a ruler with no arm, no eye, maybe. You're going to have a clear mark of the beast. It's clearly going to say 666. You're going to have all these clear signs and like Daniel said, the wise who search the word of God, believe on Christ, they will know what's going on. But the, you know, those who are not believers, they will want to know what's going on, but they just won't understand. They'll have that strong, deluding influence. 
because they did not choose Jesus. And so now that's the end of Revelation 13. Now we're going to go on to Revelation 14. Um, then it says, Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen. This is that mystery Babylon. There's going to be a great city. It's going to be like the height of wickedness. Uh, Antichrist will probably rule it. I'm not making a mystery Babylon video right now, but I'm just giving you an example. Um, and, and Babylon is fallen. It's actually destroyed here uh, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. When the Bible is talking about fornication, it's talking about worshiping a false god. Then a third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, the Antichrist, and his image, the abomination of desolation, the idol, <clears throat> and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Remember, Jesus said, you know, God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, you know, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was taking the wrath of God for us. And since they have rejected Jesus, they took the mark of the beast. Now they drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. It then says he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb, Jesus Christ. It's kind of terrifying. I've heard a lot of people say that hell is just being separated from Christ forever. Uh, this verse seems to say, no, no, you're going to have to deal with him. Uh, he is Lord. He's Lord of heaven. He's Lord of hell. He's Lord of the lake of fire. Uh, you're going to be in his presence forever. So the time to repent is now because I can't wait to be in the presence of Jesus Christ in eternal bliss with him. Um, but now is the time to repent and turn towards him because if not, this is what is waiting. It goes on to say, <clears throat> and the only reason I mention that is many cult groups try and get rid of hell, which is essentially like trying to get rid of the holiness of God because we know we deserve hell because of how holy and amazing God is and we've sinned against him. So if you take that away, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. And it's also just not scripturally true. It says the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Once again, so key. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, right? So we do not get the mark. We do not do that, but we don't trust in our ability not to do that. If you're in the, you know, if you're in the tribulation or anything, you trust in Jesus, right? He's going to empower you by his grace to go and become a martyr. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their work follows them. So the instructions for true followers of Jesus are so clear. Uh, just endure, just endure. Um, then it says, I saw three unclean, this is Revelation 16 now, three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, the antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Okay, so you have that unholy trinity there. It says they are spirits of demons performing signs, they're doing miracles. They go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. We're almost done here. It then goes on to say, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
I always am I love to just ponder this. Jesus is saying that great day of God Almighty, that's when I'm coming back. You know, behold, I'm coming as a thief. That's what Jesus said. That there's your hint. The day Jesus comes back in judgment, it's when they start to gather to Armageddon, to the plain of Megiddo. Watch my day of the Lord video. But can you imagine a true believer at this time, either waiting to be martyred or just waiting to survive and then go into the millennial kingdom? He's seeing all the nations gather and he's reading Revelation 16. He's like, whoa. You know, imagine the amount of faith he'll have. He'll be like, whoa, he's really coming back any minute, right? And so just something I, I, I find kind of interesting. So now we're just finishing up Revelation, two final verses. Uh, it says, I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies, right? He's got the beast, the Antichrist, all the 10 kings, their kings underneath them, everybody, their armies, uh, you know, millions and millions, possibly billions of people gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. If you back up in Revelation 19, uh, the one on the horse, his name is called the word of God. It's Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. So Jesus comes back and the Antichrist goes against him here. And then it says, then the beast was captured. The Antichrist was captured. Just like Daniel said, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two, the Antichrist and the false uh, prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Guys, that's so huge. Go back and look in Daniel. It says the beast, the king, the pompous horn, the willful king, the blasphemous guy <laughs> was thrown into the lake of fire in Daniel. Uh, that's written hundreds of years before Christ. Now Revelation is lining this up. That is absolutely amazing. So lining up Daniel and Revelation certainly edifies us. And once again, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is Jesus Christ. He is coming back. He will defeat the Antichrist. He will defeat the false prophet. He is, and the reason he'll do that is because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so that is the end of, you know, that's pretty much every Bible verse about the Antichrist, except for Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17. Now we are going to look at, it says two examples. That is a flub. I was going to do Antiochus Epiphanes and Hitler. I decided just to do Antiochus because I think the Bible gives it credibility. Um, I was going to do one from scripture and one from history. I am now not. I'm going to do one from scripture. <laughs> um, but since I forgot and took that off, I will mention Adolf Hitler and do this research on your own time. He was severely afflicted by demons. He was a crazy man. He used to wake up screaming. He had problems and he wrote about Jews, gypsies, Negroes, and homosexuals. He was very racist. He had problems with all those people. But when he got in power... He butchered 6 million Jews. He did uh, camps, and, and I'm Jewish myself, so it's insane what he actually did. 6 million. I can't imagine a more... I mean, you've just learned all about the Antichrist, right? He wanted to take over the world. What do you think the world would have looked like if he took over it? I, I feel like that's almost a warning from God saying, yeah, I restrained it. If it weren't for me, America wouldn't have been successful. You wouldn't have stopped this. And, and, you know, if you have a leader like that take over again, wow, it would look very anti-Christ-like. Um, but just what, you know, Adolf Hitler did with the Jews, you can research on your own time. I think that's a clear foreshadowing of what the Antichrist will look like. But today we're just going to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes. So Antiochus Epiphanes, he uh, 
The big drama that he was involved in was about 167 years before Christ was born. I've pulled up a coin here, and on this coin, Antiochus literally calls himself God manifest. That word epiphanies, it means like God manifest or God revealed. He's basically calling himself God in human flesh, right? So he was a ruler, okay? I'm not going to go in, in the video, Abomination of Desolation. I'll get into it more. But he's a ruler who claimed to be God. He had coins that said he was God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He also called himself Zeus Epiphanes, which is like, you know, he thought Zeus was God and he was the epiphany of that. So very important. But just some basic facts about this. And, and this is related to the Jewish people. So Antiochus called himself Epiphanes, God manifest. 167 years before Christ, he tried to exterminate the Jewish religion and Hellenize them, turn them, you know, Greek, philosophy, all that stuff. He changed laws, forbade the Sabbaths, the festivals, circumcision, and tried to destroy the Torah, the Bible at the time. Remember in Daniel, it says he will change times and laws, okay? And Daniel talks about the near-term fulfillment of this uh, a little bit. All the Jewish people, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they believe Antiochus set up the abomination of desolation. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in a second. He's, he then set up idolatrous altars, many, in which to sacrifice unclean animals. This all culminated in what the Jews call the abomination of desolation. Now, Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation. That's huge. But what's important to understand is whether you believe in Jesus or not, the abomination of desolation, that's just a historical, you know, fact of what happened with Antiochus, okay? And so on December 16th, 167 BC, Antiochus went to the Jewish temple. He set up an idol of Zeus, which once again, he called himself Zeus Epiphanes or Zeus Manifest. So he's like saying, I'm God, right? He offered swine flesh, an unclean animal. The Jews couldn't even eat swine, let alone sacrifice it on the altar of burnt offering. That's, I mean, terrifying. Uh, on the altar of burnt offering talked about in the Old Testament, right? Jesus affirmed this as the abomination of desolation. It is a near-term fulfillment of the future abomination of desolation. Some people take it too far and they're like, it's going to be exactly that again and they're going to slaughter a pig. I don't know all that, but I know that that's a, a, it could just be a foreshadowing or type, right? I think a statue pretty clearly is coming. Um, he warned about and then it said, uh, then just to explain, the Jews staged a revolt and defeated Antiochus, his army, and this is why they celebrate Hanukkah. Jesus also attended Hanukkah. It's called the Festival of Lights, or fe I'm sorry, at that time in John 10, it's called the Feast of Dedication. It's for when the Jews recaptured the temple and dedicated it. We're going to cover that in a completely separate video. Um, but here, Matthew 24, 15, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is talking about, and remember, this is like almost, you know, 190, 200 years after this happened, right? And he's talking about the end of the age, the end of, you know, the end of time. And he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, right? Elsewhere in Daniel, it speaks about Antiochus Epiphanes. The abomination of desolation actually happened historically. Nobody contests that. But he says, and this is 200 years after. And then Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place. And then it says in quotes, whoever reads, let him understand. Let him understand. Jesus came 200 years after that. And then he says, and he's talking about the end of the age, you're going to see the abomination of desolation again. And now you know everything about the Antichrist. And he sits in the temple of God. He proclaims himself to be God. 
I don't think he sets up bad sacrifices. Maybe he does. I don't know. That doesn't matter. But I know that he sets up the image of the beast that everyone will worship. And so just to finish, I just wrote a quick statement. Antiochus and the abomination of desolation. You could study him on your own time, but I'll do a video about him. Clearly, there's a near-term fulfillment, a foreshadowing of the future coming Antichrist and image of the beast. The book of Daniel speaks about both Antiochus in the near term and the Antichrist. And it has to be studied. I mean, these things take a lot, a lot of time because not only do you have to study it, but you have to feel comfortable with it. But the overall goal of studying the word of God is edification. It is that we can see the whole plan of God, that right now, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, offers us salvation. He is patient and gracious and merciful. Anyone, no matter what they have done, can turn towards him. But if you do not turn towards him, that patience will run out. And he has set out a warning for us to look for and, and fear, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and also a judgment for people who will never look. He's, he's recorded what is going to happen in the future. They are going to be given over to the lie, the same lie from the Garden of Eden, that we can be like God, that we are not fallen and sinful and wretched, okay? And that God is, we're never going to be God, but we are made in the image of God, and we, by his grace, have been restored and redeemed, and we get to bear his glory and have a fellowship with him for eternity. I really hope you guys liked this video. I know it was a little bit long. Not all my videos are this long. Have a great day.